0: Many exciting things to praise the Lord for this morning. Uh, In particular, many of you are aware that we have a new worship director who is coming in August. His name is Davidson. Um, They successfully, he and his family did successfully arrive in Orlando from France on Friday. So praise the Lord. They are breathing Florida air this morning. Um, They have been on the mission field for the last four years in France, and so the next several months they will be visiting with families and churches that supported them and uh, visiting with their own family that they have not seen in person for four years now. Um, But they will be coming on, and he will be coming on staff to lead worship and help direct uh, our discipleship ministry here August 1st. But we just want to give the Lord praise that they got here safely. And uh, of particular note for them, you can be praying for them. As you may or may not be aware, it is a challenging time to buy a home, and so they need to buy a house here somewhere in Palm Bay. And so just be praying for them that the Lord would lead them to just exactly the right home in just the right time. This morning, uh, if you have your Bible, you can flip to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Samuel. We're heading back to 1 Samuel, and we'll be in chapter 3 this morning. Uh, Last Sunday, we started a new series that will take us through the summer months, and at the beginning of last week's sermon, I kicked us off with 1 Samuel chapter 8, one verse in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I'd like to read that to you this morning to again give us a picture of where this book of the Bible and where this series is going to take us the Bible says this right off the bat, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. Let the foolishness of those words sink into your heart again this morning. This is really what's going on in the book of 1 Samuel. And I would say to you all this morning, not just for those in the Old Testament, but for us today, if you want to destroy your life, then follow this way of thinking and reject Jesus as your king. If you want to break down a family, then follow this decision regarding who is king of your family. If you want to dismantle a church, then follow this same line of thinking about who is king of the church. And if you want to destroy a nation, then teach them that Jesus is not the king. This is what this book is going to refresh us with. See, this whole book is about God's people, not just the masses, but God's people rejecting their heavenly king because they thought what they actually needed was an earthly king but the reality is is they already had the greatest king of all time god himself So the Old Testament will show us how we ought to live then in the New Testament as well, and it will cause us to ask this recurring question, how do I, as a believer in King Jesus, remain faithful in a world and in a culture that tells me that I don't need Jesus as King, and in fact, I need all these other shining things to be my King instead? But what we will see, once again, is that there is grace in God's word to us and that there is grace in God's call to us. He is a good and loving father. He is the true prophet, priest and king, King Jesus. And so let's look to him this morning. I'm going to read like I did last week the entire chapter. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 3 verses 1 through 21 and it's going to take us through a story of a young boy now named Samuel. Scripture says this, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Eli is the current high priest. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. And he said, here I am. Samuel said, here I am. And ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. Lost my place. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, "'Speak, for your servant hears.' Then the Lord said to Samuel, "'Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And on that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever.'" For the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offerings forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Small wonder. Verse 16, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word We thank you for the scripture, your holy and inerrant word, and we submit ourselves to you and to your word this morning. We thank you that there is salvation, that there is hope, that there is life, that there is strength in you and in you alone, King Jesus. And so we worship you this morning even as we hear from your word. Give us ears to hear, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Four ways this morning that our gracious King invites us to follow Him. Number one, this may be incredibly obvious, but the Bible is true when it says, number one, listen to the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. We see this most clearly maybe in just verse 1 where there's an interesting statement. Look again at verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. The word of the Lord was rare. From Old Testament to New Testament, what we see throughout Scripture is the unfolding story of redemption. One story of God's redemption and the normal way in which God spoke His Word in the Old Testament to His people was through prophets, one of whom is Samuel, who is already even just a boy, maybe a teenager. And in many ways, historically, Samuel is sort of the father of all of the prophets in the Scripture. And the word of the prophets, obviously, were written down, and they make up a substantial part of the Old Testament that is a part of the whole of the word of God. Listen to this word from Proverbs. We began this morning with Proverbs. Here is a profound verse, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. We need to hear. Listen to the word of God. Elsewhere in scripture, it says, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. So why is it that here in this moment, it says that God was silent? Why was God silent in those days? Because God was bringing judgment and justice on his people, Israel, for their rebellion against him. We see this directly in 1 Samuel chapter seven, verse three. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Graduates, all of us this morning, what you see in your culture today is a direct result of refusing to listen, to live, and to learn the Word of God and to choose instead to worship the gods of this world. They are temporary and they will fail. This is not a new story. It is a recurring story in every generation. There's another prophet, his name is Amos, and in Amos chapter 8, he writes this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. No food, a famine. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. What does that mean? That means just like then, today, people are starving, not because there is a lack of food, but because there is a lack of appetite for the word of God. We are starving not because God's word is rare anymore, but because our desire for it is lacking. The Lord reveals himself by his words. And so, here in this moment for Samuel, This is a moment of good news. Yahweh, God, is breaking his silence. A new era is beginning and the word of God is breaking through. And so for us today, believer, there is a true prophet. He is the very word of God authorized by God himself. He is the word made flesh and his name is Jesus. The word of God has been poured out to us and it is a work of God's grace. Today, The Word of God is complete, Old Testament prophecy is complete. It is fulfilled. New Testament prophecy, it is complete. It is finished because Jesus has come. And the Scripture says that the Word of God that we have now, the Scripture, the 66 books of the Bible, that it is everything that we need for life and for godliness. It says, every Word of God is flawless. It is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. One of the commentators on this passage, a man named Dale Ralph Davis, writes this also, that the preaching and teaching and study of God's Word is at the heart of the life of the church. As our submission to the Word of God goes, so goes the church. Where the pulpit is filled with the Word of God and not the opinions of men, there is the richness of the grace of God. It's not me. It's not my words. It's the Word of God. It is the Son of God. Jesus himself says in Mark chapter four, he who has ears, let him hear. It's a profound statement. The, The gift of the gospel is simple. It's just hard when our ears don't want to listen or there are things that get in the way. This week at our house, as many weeks, we had some ear infections in our house among our kids. My kids were unfortunately blessed with my ears and so they get ear infections all the time. And when this happens, there's gook, there's stuff, sorry, in their ears and it makes it harder for them to hear. What is the gook in your life that distracts you or makes it hard for you to hear the word of God or have a desire to listen to the word of God? To put it another way, the way that the Bible here is is expressing it, especially in Amos, are you hungry for the word? Are you eating of the word? You definitely need it, but do you want it? And I find among us, when we're being honest We can say we recognize that we need it, but the challenge is do we want it? And by God's grace, He puts even within us the desire for it. But do you, fellow believer, do you feel hunger pains over what you are lacking when you are far from the Word of God? To be practical, do you read it at home and do you hear it together, whether that be in church Sunday morning or in one of our discipleship groups? And do you further obey it? Do you listen to it? The Bible is clear here. Listen to the word of God. Number two, obey the gracious call of God. We see this in verses two through 10 in particular. Obey the gracious call of God. Because again, if it was up to me to successfully read the scripture enough and do what it said, I absolutely will fail every single time. The message of the gospel is not read a whole bunch, do good things, and God will like you and save you. That is not the message. The message is we fail every single time and God in his graciousness loves us, has called us from death to life, and Jesus has made a way where there is no way. Amen? The Bible says that Yahweh called to Samuel. The first time is in verse four, and there are three times when God calls to Samuel and says, hey, Samuel, come here, basically. This is a calling story, much like other significant figures in the Old Testament. There was Moses, if you remember, and Moses heard the voice of God in the burning bush. And when Moses realized that it was God, and the voice said, take off your shoes because the ground that you stand on is holy ground. Then there was Isaiah, who has this experience where these six-winged seraphim, these angelic creatures, are praising and worshiping God. And as Isaiah is overwhelmed, he says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a land of unclean lips. And then there is another fellow after him, besides Samuel. Sorry, lost my place. Isaiah Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah. The calling of Jeremiah, the Bible says this. God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and called you. And God calls him to service as well. God is lovingly calling Samuel here, who's still a child, and he's saying to follow him and to serve him. And what's interesting is Samuel is initially very clearly confused, and he logically assumes it must be Eli, the high priest, who is calling him at night, saying, come here. Why is Eli confused? Well, the Bible does not leave it unclear. The Bible says Samuel was confused because Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He was not yet a believer and he had not yet been called into serving him. And what this should encourage us is this. There is no doubt here that despite Samuel's confusion, that God's grace is going to succeed. It is not. About Samuel. It is not about you. It is about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for us today, our sin, our weakness, our failure over and over and over again is not an obstacle to God doing his work of redemption in your life. God's plan for your life, graduates, God's grace, God's purposes, God's salvation is sure. He does not make mistakes. He does not need second tries. So I hope that you can see the grace of God unfolding here. And notice God is not saying, Samuel, dude, come on. I'm right here. I keep calling you. Why do you keep fumbling this? Why don't you listen? Why don't you understand? God does not throw his hands up in the air. God does not scream down at Samuel. God is not surprised by Samuel's lack of ability here. And God, as a good and loving Father, is graciously calling his son to himself. The Bible says this in Second Peter chapter three, verse nine the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, thank God, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How do I apply this to my life? commentator Dale Ralph Davis says this, once we see what Scripture reveals about God, we usually will see how it applies to us. That's an interesting way of thinking. Before we ask the Bible to tell us about ourselves, we should always start with, what is the Bible telling me about God? And that will inform us who we are, what we are called to do. And in this case, it is that God in His great love and kindness is calling you out of sin is calling you out of your wandering before you were ever even interested in him. And by his grace, he saves you. And by his grace, he remakes you. And so out of that grace, we can respond to God's gracious call in the same way that Moses and Abraham and Isaiah and Samuel all do. When God calls, their response is this, here I am. Send me. Is that your heart's cry at the grace and the love of God. Lord, I am here. I am yours. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Lord, send me. Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Regardless of what your stage of life may be, God and His grace is calling you into His mission. Not your mission, His mission. And so some of you will be called into things like international missions work, to share the gospel overseas. Some of you will be called into vocational ministry, like being a pastor. But all of us, regardless of who you are or where you are, all of us as believers are called into God's mission. He has a glorious plan and a purpose for you. And we are called to give our lives away to follow after him. Graduation week, I was reflecting over my hilarious, jaded college experience uh, this week. When I was a freshman in college, um, midway through my freshman year of college, I had done all, all the things. Yeah. I had broken up with the girl that I had chased to college, and so I was discontent about the fact that I didn't have a girlfriend anymore. I was discontent over my major. Um, I had not made any friends. I was way too smart for any of the Christian organizations on my campus, so I thought. I was too busy studying to go to church. That's how I justified it. Um, And I was this curious mix, I was reflecting, I was this curious mix of self-righteous and insecure, How you bundle both of those, I'm not entirely sure, but I did it beautifully. Um, So obviously, I assumed that the problem was not me. The problem was my environment. And if I just transferred to a new college, then all of these problems would magically go away because over there was surely better than over here. And so I decided I'm going to transfer. And I remember just wrestling over that decision. I I was at a Christian college. I was looking at other Christian colleges. But something was still not connecting. And so towards the end of the semester, I got on the phone with my mom. Um, This is before the era of cell phones. This is like a phone with a cord attached and there was a little box and then it attached into the wall. Graduates, you know, know nothing about that. But there was a day and a time. I'm on the phone and I'm explaining to my mom again these questions, these struggles. And and she stopped me and she said probably some of the most profound words that, that have really changed, I believe. It was one of those moments that God used to change the trajectory of my life. She said, I don't think... Ben, that it matters where you go per se. I think what you are forgetting is that God is going to go with you. And I stopped. And I believe that what the Lord added in that conversation over the next few days, uh, times of prayer, was this secondary question from the Lord. Are you going to go with me? Changed everything. God is so good. He absolutely moved me and changed me. Things things did not magically change overnight, but I would tell you that that was a watershed Ebenezer moment in my life where God began to change and to call me in a fresh way. I was a believer, but I was immature, and God was working in me and, and through me. Samuel responds. When God calls in grace, Samuel responds, and I love what Samuel says, and I hope that this is our heart. Speak, Lord for your servant hears. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Again, when I was in college at Palm Beach Atlantic University, there was a Christian uh, band that was being formed uh, by the name of 10th Avenue North. And there, it was, there was and is, the guy who led that band, his name is Mike donahue A couple years ago, he published a book. I've not read the book. I just love the title. The title of his book is this, Finding God's Life for My Will finding God's life for my will. See what he did there? Not finding God's will for my life, which so many of us will begin with that question. Not finding God's will for my life, finding God's life for my will. I think he's on to something profound. Samuel submitted himself to the word of God, and so should we. And the Lord says in response, I'm about to do a thing. That's exciting. I am about to do a thing. Do you want to be a part of it, says God. Thank God, again, it's not about me. It's not about us. God is going to do a thing. And his thing is the mission of Jesus Christ, that sinners who are hopeless are saved and experience real life and real hope and real transformation and forgiveness of their sins in this life and eternity in heaven to come. God is doing a thing. So, Lord, I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my life, I'm putting my worldview, I'm putting my schedule, I'm, I'm putting my academic plans and my career plans and my life plans and my family plans and my family in your hands because your way is better. I'm following your gracious call. Third and finally, we're in the Old Testament, and yet the entire Old Testament, we will see yet again, screams the name of Jesus. Number three, believe in Jesus the final prophet, which is not a term that we attribute to him often, but it is the reality. Jesus, believe in Jesus, the final prophet, the Son of God. We see this in an interesting way in verses 11 through 19, really all the way to 21, that finishes out this chapter and this story. And what God is doing, God's first task for Samuel was to talk about God's justice. Samuel, who's your first job? I want you to talk to people about my justice that's a tough sell. <laughs> this is a kid who God has given the responsibility to share a message of judgment. And, and Samuel's call should remind us of the burden and the challenge of speaking the truth in love that we as believers are called to do as well. We are not prophets, but we are called in the world to speak the word of God. The message of Jesus Christ and the reality of sin and salvation is never going to win you a popularity contest, Right? here's the solution. Stop chasing after popularity contests. It's a waste. Judgment is not only for Eli here, though. This passage says explicitly Eli and his sons and his entire family line are going to experience judgment for their wickedness, which we looked at extensively last week, but it also points us forward to the reality that judgment is for everyone who is a sinner. And everyone is a sinner. So there's that reality of we all stand level because we all stand guilty before a holy and a righteous God. And God's desire for them was that they would repent and bow the knee to the one true king, but so many of us still to this day refuse. In the case of Eli and his sons, we know from the book of Deuteronomy, death for abusing the priesthood, or rather, they were abusing the priesthood and that the consequence of that was death says that in Deuteronomy 17. It says that the consequence of disobeying your parents is death in Deuteronomy 21. If you break even one sin, says the Scripture, you stand guilty before a holy and a righteous God. And this should immediately make all of our ears tingle, as the Scripture says, and realize that sin is serious. Sin is not having a bad day. Sin is not being off a little bit. Sin is not being slightly disrespectful and then sort of fixing it later. Sin is cosmic treason against a holy and a righteous God. See, God is perfectly holy, perfectly just, and at the same time, perfectly merciful. You cannot understand or believe the good news if you don't first understand the bad news. The bad news is that all of us are sinners. All of us stand guilty before God. Yes, sin is fun for a while. And yes, you can run away to college and do lots of sinful, fun things and enjoy it and not experience the consequences for a while. But eventually, in this life and in the life to come, you will come to realize what Eli and his sons realized, which is God does not leave the guilty unpunished. And in so doing, we come to understand our desperate need for the one who was to come, our desperate need need for Jesus, because Jesus is the only one who can satisfy God's justice. Not Samuel, right? Samuel was a prophet. He was called by God to speak to his people through a particularly confusing and difficult and even a time of upheaval in their history. Samuel is a part of the story of redemption. He's a prophet by the grace and mercy of God, and he's called to speak the word of God, but he serves as a sign of of one who was to come. Prophecy in itself is not the end. We need something better. We need something greater. Look at the New Testament now. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son Jesus is the final prophet. He is called by God to a role that you and I could never fill. He created the world. Jesus is God. He is the word of God. He is the king of kings, and yet he came down, it says, to make purification for sins. That's important. Because as your great high priest, he made a way to regain relationship with a holy and righteous God that you could not achieve on your own. He did that by not only being your priest, not only being your prophet, not only being your king, but himself being the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. See, Old Testament Israel throughout their history would make sacrifices as an offering or a payment for sin. But the Bible is clear throughout even the Old Testament, it was not enough. It was pointing them towards somebody who would be enough and Jesus Christ came and made himself the sacrifice. He is both the judge and the defense on our cross uh, on our behalf. He died on a cross, literal, real, historical moment in time to pay the penalty for sin that you and I deserved. He made a way for salvation. No personal righteousness, no personal sacrifices, no good works are going to cut it. Not then not now, not ever. Jesus has made a way to wash all your sins away. So imagine, put yourselves back there. Imagine you are alive at the beginning of the first century, first century A.D., and the prophets again have gone silent. The word of the, of the Lord had been rare for almost 400 years. This is the time between the Old Testament being ended and the New Testament beginning, but then all of a sudden there's a commotion. In Israel and the prophets and the priests and the kings that are there are having conversations because there's a baby that's been born in a town that has been prophesied called Bethlehem. And the baby grows up to be a man and this man begins to preach with authority like they've never heard. And this man begins to do miracles in front of them that they can't explain. And this man literally raises the dead to life and tells you that he will do the same for his people. He doesn't come to simply speak the word of God, he is the word of God, John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. John chapter 1 goes on to say, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. Just like the people of Samuel's day, just like the people of our day, many rejected Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, he gave the right to become children of God. Hear and believe. Hear and believe in God's Son. Ask Him to be your Savior if you never have. And if He is your Savior, let this be a day of refreshment to remember, Lord Jesus, what I need is You. There's so many things in my heart and in my life that I feel that tug towards, but what I need is You. You are the word of God. You are the great, the final prophet. It's your word that I need. You are the final high priest. You have made a way to relationship eternally with God, and you are king. What it means to be a Christian is to say, I take myself off the throne of my life, and I put you, Lord Jesus, in that position. I am tired of messing it up. I got to go to two high school graduations this week, I got to watch my precious five-year-old graduate from preschool yesterday. Guess which one I cried more at? Just a special time. But my my heart for all of us as, as graduates and all of us in life, our church, our family, is that you would know that there is truth. It comes from the Word of God. And that you would feel a deep hunger in your soul until you come to that place where you listen to God. And that you would find satisfaction in Him, in knowing Him, and in having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, that you would listen, and that you would follow this gracious call of the Lord to salvation and to service, to to faith and to following, that you discover, that you would know that there is life, and there is life abundant in Jesus. Amen? Let's take a moment, let's pray together.